for authors, artists, writers, copywriters. Bevy's Cottage Formatting and Design is here to help you polish and beautify your book or script and develop a clean professional product ready for print on demand or ebook. Services include book interior formatting, cover wrap design and formatting, copy editing, proofreading, and graphic design. From event posters, banners, book event signage, ebook formatting, even illustration, to back cover blurbs, maps, and chapter header art. I can help you turn your art into a quality package primed for publication, print, and even broadcast. The full list of services and pricing are available on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Feffy's Cottage FD. F-E-F-F-I-E-S Cottage FD. Don't let your good works get dragged down by simple grammatical or visual issues. Come and check out my page today. This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion. Read by the author. Dedication. Chapter 16 is dedicated to all those who are feeling burnt out. The last few years have been rough for us all. From COVID to riots to threats of World War III, not to mention just the day-to-day -day life, work or school or whatever you are facing, you're not alone and hang in there. Last time on A Better Utopia, Uliam and Rebecca finally get a real first date only to have it crashed by none other than Balaam. Frantically they leave but are followed by the snake. Frantically, they leave, but are followed by the snake till Rebecca formulates a plan that ends in a gigantic bar brawl where Balaam's hand is crushed and cut up by broken glass. The night ends for the couple with a strange occurrence in a dark alley before making it back to the inn. Abigail is set on trying to accomplish her mission of retrieving a book from a mysterious person. Rodriguez, Lucas, and Preston head to the Peppermint Pony. Abigail slowly made her way out of the dark alley. She cursed herself for not seeing the stupid cat that almost gave her away. But it did get the man to look up and make eye contact with her, even if he didn't know it. She raced through his mind, trying to find some sort of memory of Balaam and what happened to him. But in a rush, drove too deep and got some weird wartime memory. To say that she was still a little rough with the extent of her powers was an understatement. It had only been a year since Zeus, her godfather, forced her to start drinking blood to bolster her abilities. Now, trying to read someone's mind, especially if she was in a hurry, was much like trying to stop a bullet mid-penetration into a sheet of paper. And the lack of her last drink was draining her. She had been walking back from the restaurant after Balaam had so kindly left her bill for the food he had not eaten and the dessert the couple refused. When she saw the two walking back from wherever they had been, she had regretted not following Balaam to see what the hell he was doing when he had abruptly left, but she was too tired to follow him at the time. Tired from the trip, and tired from combing through Balaam's mind earlier, yet not tired enough to stalk the now Balaamless couple to find out what had happened to her so-called handler. 
It infuriated her how Balaam had just ran off like some stray dog chasing a car, and now she had to track him down. It was his job to babysit her, not the other way around. Balaam. Now there was a mind just as deranged as hers, if not more. Although she didn't understand why. His childhood seemed fine, and he was quite intelligent when she had searched his mind in the carriage. He had all the necessary abilities to become a very productive member of society. Yet, a dark shadow had casted itself upon him. Abigail hoped to get another chance to go through his mind and find out more. The whole thing reminded her of some dime store mystery novel. Was it because he had killed his fiancée? Or did his darkness come before that? She sighed and knew it would be a long night as she began walking the streets trying to catch Balaam's distinct sense. This new power was odd and she was still getting used to it. In fact, sometimes it could be overwhelming being around so many distinct smells. Balaam's smell was a bit of a musk mixed with a hint of pepper and onion smell. It was odd to her how she liked his smell. It was odd how she was attracted to him in general. He repulsed her at times, but at other times, she had been drawn to his intelligence and the fact that he, like her, could kill so easily. Yet, his downfall was how he had left his emotions clouded his judgment. She had to guess this obsession with the couple from the restaurant had been fueled by anger, and he had let that anger drive him to do something utterly stupid. It had taken her longer than she wanted to, but her nose brought her to the city jailhouse, and it confirmed her worst fears. The place looked to be brand new, concrete walls and bars over glass that showed no signs of rust or age. The door in the building was blue painted hardwood with a brass fixture, which judging by the craftsmanship, the door was a pretty penny. It must have been nice being the cousin of the owner of the peppermint pony who also bought his way to being the mayor. Having a family member who basically runs this town is probably how Sheriff Steward got to be sheriff in the first place. Well, that and being a red robe, she thought. Abigail took a deep breath in and placed her hand on the door. She did her best to steady her breathing, but anxiety about going into this place and possibly dealing with the sheriff threatened to push her into a full panic attack. She could smell his cheap cologne mixed with stale whiskey from the entryway. Even before Sheriff Stewart said a single word to her, she knew that he was here and it made her stomach churn. She had hoped he wasn't, that being the sheriff he would let someone else handle the night shift. But no, not her luck, which she cursed. There he was, sitting at a well-polished wooden desk next to a barred door. The rest of the desk in the office had papers scattered across from what she assumed was the day shift dealings. The gas lights were all out except three, one at the entrance, one by the bar door, and one behind the door illuminating the hall. Well, 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 look who we have here, Siren. <laughs> Siren, out of all the people to walk through that door, I would have bet the president himself would have walked through before I guessed you. The sheriff let out a gross chuckle as he lifted his cowboy hat off his head and stood. The floor creaked at his feet as he shuffled upon it. She had hated this man the last time they met. She was only 14 then, but the impression he had made had been a deep one. Now the black bristled mustache was now peppered with gray. The slick back head of hair was now receding. His beer belly was slightly bigger, but that was the only fat on the man. His eyes though reminded her of the ones she had seen before the first time. They still held the same hungry look to him, like a wolf staring down a young lamb. The man made her uncomfortable 
and she knew, had it not been for Zeus being there the last encounter, this man would have forced himself on her. Now, they were all alone in this office, and it unnerved her deeply. She fought hard to keep her composure, trying her best to steady her shaking hands and even shakier voice. How long has it been since I last saw you? You were just a pretty little thing, and now look at you. His brown eyes followed up the curves of her body. All grown up, he said, drawn out in words soaked in lust. It's been nine years, but I don't have time to chit-chat, so you'll have to forgive me. I'm on business for the Grand Monarch. She had to focus hard to keep her voice to sound like it had any kind of authority. The thought she was seeing go on in his head made her want to vomit. Oh, Zeus has you working for the cause now. He gave her a slight smile that looked more like a dog burying its teeth. I'm not a utopian. I'm just working for the pleasure of my godfather. She bit back. She had to start searching his mind for something to use against him. Either to blackmail him to not touch her and to blackmail him to do what she wanted. Sheriff Stewery laughed, obviously too hard for the situation. So you're just some pawn, like a gray-robed cloud servant. <laughs> no, I'm Zeus's goddaughter, and if you are wise, you will remember that when speaking to me, she bit at him, but her words came out more fearful than threatening. So, you trying to read my mind? If I remember correctly last time, all you could do is if I spent five minutes thinking of a color or a number, you might guess it right. He moved a couple steps closer to hers. His smell was beginning to become unbearable, as if it would suffocate her where she stood. I've improved uh, quite a bit since last time we saw one another. She slowly shuffled back. Really? How so? He was now only an arm's distance away, and she had to find something fast. Yes, I'm reading your mind right now as we speak. She spoke, her, her voice beginning to crumble as her back collided with the door. Her heart now thumping so hard it threatened to burst out her chest and onto the floor. Then tell me what I'm thinking about. He placed his arm beside her and leaned against the wall. He smiled, revealing the yellow stained teeth and licked his lips in a gross, suggestive way. You're disgusting. Abigail almost broke eye contact but forced herself to keep eyeing the man and digging. He laughed hard at her, specks of spit hitting her face. She was searching hard for something, but she was drained and needed blood. If she just had some blood, she could implant a thought in his brain and make him pull out his revolver and blow his brains out. She couldn't, though. Her energy was wasted on digging through Balaam's mind. It was so childish of her. Who cared what Balaam's past was or implanting a thought of two in his head? Now, she was going to pay for wasting her abilities on such nonsense. But then, she stumbled upon it. Just briefly. But it was enough ammo to use against him, and it flooded her body with hope. So, what do you say? Do you want to have a little fun? The sheriff's face was so close to Abigail that she could feel his damp, smelly breath hit her cheeks. A smile curved on Abigail's lips, and it surprised the man. Would it be as fun as your little meaning with the poetry club? His head snapped back. What did you just say? You're going to a meeting next week. Abigail tissed, tissed as she shook her head. Didn't Zeus settle this little man at the temple? He would not like it if he knew. Or did you not hear what went on? I don't know what you're talking about. The sheriff growled as he took a few steps back. It was now Abigail's turn to laugh. And she did so in the most condescending way she possibly could. Yes, you do. Don't play stupid. 
You're going to give me what I want, or I'll let him know. I wonder what he would do to you. The sheriff broke his eye contact from her and looked to the ground. He wouldn't believe in nobody like you. You're just a pet. How do you think he found out in the first place about the poetry club? Abigail knew this was a lie, but it seemed to have worked as the sheriff's face went white. What do you want? He said coldly. A tingle went up her spine. She had this red robe cornered. A tingle went up her spine. She had this red robe cornered, and it felt good. First, you will not tell your cousin, or anyone for that matter, that I am here. Secondly, where is your cousin? I need to have a little chat with him. He's out of town getting some new whores for the peppermint pony. He should be back early tomorrow afternoon. Anything else? The sheriff spat. Yes. You have a prisoner by the name Christopher James Nelson. He's also called Balaam. You will release him and any records of his rest tonight over to me. And how do I know you're not just going to blab the Zeus anyway? I could just kill you and not have to worry about it right here, right now. He placed his hand on his revolver. Abigail's heart jumped, but her voice remained calm. Zeus will come looking for me and investigate me if you kill me. I'm on a mission for him. As why you should trust me? Well, you really don't have a choice, do you? The sheriff moved his hand from his revolver over to his keys. Fine, he huffed. Follow me. If you're looking for a podcast that dives into deep Hollywood, dark Hollywood, deep state, reasons that the church needs to be stepping up their game, or you would like to stay up with some current news that isn't covered by everybody else, check out Talking with Gabe, a podcast produced by Gabe Hogan's. light from outside cascaded in from our rented bedroom window. The curtains had been drawn, but there was a slight small opening in the middle that the light had escaped through and directly impacted my face, waking me up. My best guess was it was around 8 o'clock in the morning, which for our typical day was sleeping in, but the night Rebecca and I had ran long, and I didn't get to bed till around 3 or so and didn't fall asleep for a while because of all the adrenaline still going through me. Finnegan was still sleeping. I could see the slow rising and falling of his chest. Yet the bed above his, where Rodriguez should be sleeping, was still empty. This didn't worry me, though. Rodriguez had a habit of partying hard and not returning for the night. Especially if there was a chance of female companionship involved, my hope was that he didn't burn up all of his money gambling, drinking, or worse, buying said female company. Yet, if he did all three, it would not surprise me. I laid there for a few minutes, contemplating if I should go back to sleep or not. I decided on the knot, and besides, I needed to go let Leslie know that Balaam was in the area. Not that Balaam was much of a threat after what happened. He was probably bedded up somewhere trying to heal, or hopefully rotting in a jail cell. Part of me wished I had just done my plan and taken care of him, taken him out for good. But Rebecca was right. This wasn't a battlefield, and I couldn't just kill my enemies. Although, I was really missing that part of the war right now. I huffed and sat up out of bed. 
Grabbed the shirt from last night and gave it a smell test. Nope, this one needed a good wash. All the adrenaline from last night caused a lot of sweat and a lot of smell. Hopefully it wasn't this bad when I was holding Rebecca. I grabbed another shirt from my pack and threw it on. Then quickly and quietly laced up my boots, strapped on my belt with the revolver, grabbed my flat cap, and hid it out the door. The outside air had a hint of dust to it, which caused a slight haze. The wind was whipping about, scattering dirt and scraps of trash about. Breathing in made my throat burn an itch, and I was beginning to dread the walk when I saw Lincoln, Douglas, and the man I knew right off the bat was none other than Leslie. Each man had a unique walk, but Leslie looked like a bear doing its best to impersonate a cowboy. Ah, there's one of them right now, Leslie's gruff voice called out over the wind and whipped his brown duster about like a cape. Ulim, where's the others? Most of them are inside, but I think Rodriguez is still with Preston and Lucas at the Peppermint Pony, I called back to him. They walked up the wooden steps of the inn, each foot striking the wooden planks, making a satisfying thump. Leslie reached into his mouth and pulled out a nasty, dripping wad of tobacco leaves and threw it in the street behind him, wiped his face with a dirty handkerchief that he had pulled out from his duster. Well, we need to round everyone up. Our plans just changed, and quite dramatically. What do you mean? I asked. Leslie stuffed the handkerchief into his duster and pulled out a red envelope and handed it to me. Looks like the government just re-signed the rest of our fuel to that faux foods plant down in Mississippi. We ought to get there immediately. I guess the food crisis is getting worse and the faux food plant down there is in overdrive to try to keep up. I looked at the official letter in my hand and my eyes went wide. This says we have to be down there in four days. That's impossible. Not on a train, Leslie smiled. We will be riding the train down there. We even have been given four sleeping carts, and we'll be hauling all of our stuff. It'll cut down our travel time to the Pacific Northwest by half. When you're all counting the stops, we would have been skipping by now. I handed the letter back to Leslie. How bad is the food crisis if we are getting shipped down there? I mean, coal last I checked was through the roof. Bad. But hopefully us going down there will help, Lincoln added. So gather everyone up ASAP. We leave at midnight tonight. Leslie tucked the letter back into his brown duster. What about Jacob? Doesn't he need time to heal after the surgery? Already talked to the surgeon, and as long as everything goes okay, they can have Jacob loaded up and stable on the train. And if it doesn't, we're going to have to go either way. I can't ignore this official leather. Leslie reached into his pocket and pulled out a leather pouch and grabbed another pinch of tobacco leaves. He tried to be nonchalant, but I could tell it bugged him the thought of leaving Jacob behind. But Dr. Whiteford says he's pretty sure the surgery will go just fine. I just spoke to him not too long ago, and he says the antibiotics are working well. Jacob was even up and talking, Lincoln quickly added. You trust Dr. Whiteford? I raised my eyebrow. Lincoln tried to throw up his hands in a gesture not to go down that road, but it's too late. The cat was now out of the bag. Why wouldn't we trust Dr. Whiteford? Leslie spit some juice as he talked. I gave Lincoln my best apologetic look. Apparently, he hadn't said anything to his brother. Douglas spoke up for the now nervous Lincoln. He is, uh, well, he was a utopian. Leslie's face churned. It's normal, patented, bright red. What the hell? What do you mean was? Apparently was a utopian, but not anymore. Lincoln huffed and looked down at his feet. Why the hell didn't anyone tell me? Leslie yelled, more tobacco juice flying out everywhere. We were going to tell you. It's just been a couple, I don't know, hectic last few days. Leslie, hell, I've barely even slept. 
Lincoln looked more like his brother as his face turned red. We've been fighting monsters, running from mobs, crawling through sewers, and dealing with all the sort staff crew. So, I'm sorry if I haven't filled you in and everything. My brain is a little mushy right now. Leslie's face looked all scrunched up like he was half mad but half contemplating on pressing the issue. Hmm. For now on, I want to damn debrief every stupid adventure you guys get yourselves into. He wiped his face and groaned. Hopefully he's the only utopian in this town we're dealing with. Was a utopian, Douglas added. Leslie gave his number two a stern look, then grunted and spoke. Was. Actually, he's not the only one, I nervously said. I was just on my way to tell you. Rebecca and I ran into one last night, and I recognized him from Boston. For crying out loud! Anything else anyone wants to tell me, damn it! Leslie threw up his arms. You two! He thrusted a finger at Lincoln and Douglas. You go gather everyone at camp and head to the train yard. I want them steam tractors loaded and no one's to leave that area. Got it? He turned to me, eyes blazing with fury, and was about to say something but was cut off by Finnegan, who had just walked out of the inn. Uh, what's going on, guys? Finnegan was wiping the sleep out of his eyes. And you two knuckleheads! Leslie pointed at me and Finnegan. Go get your boy Rodriguez and those other idiots at the Peppermint Pony. Then you head straight to that train yard. Nothing else. And if a utopian so much as breaks wind around you, I want to know about it. Leslie then whipped around and started walking down the steps. Where are you going? Lincoln called down to his brother. To go have a chat with the doctor. You are not to say anything to him until he returns. I want to catch him off guard. Do you understand me? Abigail looked dead in the eyes of the young servant girl. She had to just be a day over 13, and the fear in her eyes was slowly beginning to be replaced with a dreamlike haze as Abigail invaded her mind and implanted thoughts in her head. Sure, she could just wipe the memory of even talking to the girl from her, but that would cost her a lot of energy, and Abigail had to save her strength for when, when R.J. Stewart or Pan, as he liked to be called in the company of his fellow robes, came back. Now, go and bring me whoever is in charge of this place while RJ is gone, Rebecca yelled. But I'm not supposed to leave anyone in Mr. Stewart's office unattended. Please don't make me. He'll beat me. The young girl's dream look morphed back into a look of terror and tears. Abigail begrudgingly focused harder to push the young girl's emotions aside and regain her mind. I will handle RJ, so don't you worry about him. What you should be worried about is me. Abigail bared her fangs to the young child, who then stumbled over her own feet in fear. The girl pushed herself up and ran to the door. Abigail did feel a tiny bit sorry for the girl, seeing as how she was only her a few years ago. Yet, look at her now. Abigail was finally calling the shots. Ugh, I'm bleeding through my bandages again. Balaam's rough voice broke Abigail from her thoughts. Abigail turned from the door to look at the gangly man. Well, you best find something to cover that up. While you're at it, cover the smell. You are making me hungry. I just gave you a bile of blood this morning, Balaam bit back. She eyed the man. How badly she wanted to rip that satchel off his arm and take the vials she wanted. Or better yet, just rip open his throat and drink him. What stopped her was the fact that she knew deep down inside she needed Balaam to gatekeep for the vials. Too much blood and she would transform into something else. 
Also, her strange, morbid attraction to the snake kept her appetite at bay, but his constant complaining was beginning to wear that down. Balaam stared back at her for a moment and looked like he was about to say something, but turned around and stared out of the two-way mirror that looked over the saloon's main floor. He mumbled something to himself as he fidgeted with his injured hand. The door behind her swung open and a woman in her early 40s walked in with the servant child cowering behind her elegant blue dress. She puffed on a cigarette that sat on the end of a long black straw as she eyed Abigail, then Balaam, and then back to Abigail. Everything about the woman looked young, except her face. Her face hinted at her age, or a hard life. Although she had small wrinkles, she still had a beauty to her that would intrigue any man. I'm in charge when RJ is gone, she said in a German accent. And you are? Abigail questioned. She took a drag from the straw and blew it out as she spoke. Damn Albert, the head whore, and you intruders are Siren and Balaam. We are here on behalf of the Grand Monarch. Abigail felt a strange sense of power as she said that. The look on the woman's face also sent tingles down her spine. German Floozy's face went pale white when she said Zeus. The feeling was intoxicating. What do you want? The woman said in an even more cold tone than before, if that was even possible. I'm here for Pan and the book, Abigail stated with an equally cold tone. Pan is not here. We'll be back soon. And as for the book, I believe it's locked up in his private study. Only he can open it, the woman said confidently. But the slight tremble in the hand holding the cigarette betrayed her. Then I guess I'll be waiting here for him. And be sure to let your staff know to keep their mouth shut, or you may just find yourself being the next gift to the beautiful one. Abigail said, smile getting bigger with each word. The feeling of power was so intoxicating to her. It was almost as good as a sip of blood. Look who just walked in, Balaam said with a hint of glee in his voice. What now, Balaam? Abigail said. Points drew her voice. He was messing up her moment. Balin pointed at the main floor with a non-injured hand. From the other night, just walked in with his red-headed idiot in tow. Abigail spun around and looked at the glass. You mean the one that kicked your ass last night and about cost us the mission? He got lucky, Balin snarled. Abigail sighed. Oh, you just let your thirst for revenge cloud your judgment. Now stop being foolish and let this thing go. We have more important things to do. Who put you in charge? I believe the monarch gave me his newest red robe this task and not some pet. Miguel's mind flashed with thoughts of ripping his throat open again. She did her best to calm herself and cursed herself at the same time. Had she only at the beginning of the day had romantic thoughts about this idiot and now she wanted to end him. If... We get rid of these idiots for you. Will you then be able to focus on the task at hand? Abigail did her best to hide her anger, but it leaked out in every word. Yes, Balaam said, shortly acting like the chastised child and turning his back to her to stare out back at the window. Abigail spun around to the frightened German woman and the young girl. Poison them. I don't care how you do it. Just get it done. Wait, no. That's not good enough. Balaam spun around once again, giving his full attention back to Abigail as he protested. Have guests just randomly die. It would be bad for business. And RJ would not approve, the German woman said in a harsh tone. 
think I care about your whorehouse? Abigail shot back. The French woman spoke louder this time. No, but the Grand Monarch would. Besides, the money. There are many things here the Grand Monarch is invested in. What if I could provide a better solution? I could have them locked in the misery rooms. The what? Abigail demanded. The misery rooms. They are for customers who want to relive past experiences, the German woman explained. Want to relive miserable past experiences. Bates spoke without removing his eyes from the glass. The German woman took another long drag and spoke as her nerves were returning. Some people like to relive trauma. Some like to relive things they don't think is miserable, but in truth is quite miserable. Like reliving an affair they've had on a spouse and never told about. However, the unaware who enter live the worst things. Abigail felt a slight curiosity as she asked, And how does that work? Balin cut her off. Will it kill them? I'm not too sure how the rooms work other than the misery magic and some kind of machine that RJ invented. He invents many things down there in the lower floors. As far as killing them, I am not sure, but if we target a memory bad enough to have them relive on a loop, they will wish they were dead. This has been A Better Utopia, Chapter 16, The Setup, written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion, read by the author. Tune in November 21st for our special episode. This will not be a continuation of the story, but we'll have a special guest star. Want more news? Want to know what's going on with A Better Utopia? Follow the Facebook page at A Better Utopia. Feel free to leave a comment, question, or contact us at the email in the description. And please, if you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star review. The German woman grabbed the arm of the small servant girl and walked out the door. She was furious with the situation. How dare these guests come in here and make demands of her She looked down at the servant girl. Tabitha, you are to lead them into the misery rooms and then report right back to me. Do not fail me on this. I do not trust these other guests up here, but we are at their beck and call. Tabitha dried her eyes and looked up at the woman. What about the ones that haven't paid that are still stuck down in the halls? I will have the guards deal with them. They'll be out of your way before. Give it a few minutes and then lead those two men to their doom.